You know that a man dies if he loses five pints of blood. The time is now. The place is the space between your ears. The people are lizards, dissecting the finest in science fictional and fantastical literature for all your auditory pleasures. You are now listening to Lizard People, Dear Readers. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Lizard People, Dear Readers, the science fiction and fantasy book podcast by lizard people, for lizard people, and other reptilian humanoids. I am joined as always by Nathan Edwards. Hello. Doing a weird nasally rendition of a salutary greeting. And Peter Paris. I have no mouth and I ice cream. And I would, of course, love to congratulate my friend, my co-host, my kumbado, Peter Paris, on just being cast as The Punisher in the Daredevil sequel. How do you feel about that, Peter? I am shocked and horrified. I'm really excited to see you. I loved you in The Walking Dead and uh, Fury, and I think you're going to do great in that skull t-shirt. You know, uh, we'll see how it goes. I got to work out a lot first. What does the role of Frank Castle mean to you, Peter? Being really, really angry. He's so angry. And and are you going to be using, uh, are you going to be looking to any of the greats that have played Frank Castle before you? Of course, I'm talking about Ray Winstone, uh, Dolph Lundgren, or the great late Tom Jane. Um, probably a little bit. I think more it's probably going to be uh, some whiskey and then getting punched in the face a few times before each cake. Nice, nice. I'll be pretty mad. And you get to punch Daredevil and, you know, shoot him and stuff. Let's be honest. Daredevil kind of has it coming. Yeah, well, he's a lawyer. Right? Yep. Hi, lawyers. (laughs) Yeah. You guys uh, watched that uh, Taylor Swift Bad Blood video? We did. Yeah, that happened. Yeah, well, did, no, did you actually watch it this time? Because last time I asked you had not. No, well, I hadn't last time, but this time... I have now watched it. Yeah. I am so pleased. I feel like the prettiest princess in the land. Now tell me what you thought, how you felt, how it moved you, and how it's inspired you to become a greater person. It was a lot of setup, not a lot of payoff. And also, apparently, Katy Perry is releasing a, uh, an answer, some sort of, like, repost. Oh yeah, yeah well, that's see, what I was about to say because I was at my parents and Entertainment Tonight was talking about it. Is it called 1984? They were all a yes, flutter. Yes, be, be, because the last album, Taylor Swift's last album was 1989, which was when she was born, but Katy Perry was born in 1984. So uh, that's going to be her diss song, I guess. Also, very subtle Orwellian uh, tones there. Taylor Swift was actually foretold of... Um, in George Orwell's 1984. She's wearing the boot that's stamping on uh, humanity's face forever. So oh, it's actually very, very on point. Very it's on very, the nose. But it's also very empowering. Yeah, it's really empowering. Well, and, sure. If you got the boot. 
Well, you, you talked about it being all set up, which it is. It's just a series of celebrity cameos. And then it ends with these two lines of like women marching at each other. One of whom is wearing a very bad Katy Perry wig and there's explosions. And then they like just kind of grab each other's hair and we fade to black. Amazing. Amazing. That's some high power music video direction. What I also think is interesting about it is that in the album track, Kendrick Lamar is not present and it's a much more stripped down version. And so the video edit has the single edit has Kendrick Lamar rapping over it. And Taylor Swift basically becomes just singing the hook and the chorus. And it's a much better song for it. Not because there's anything wrong with like Taylor Swift other than the obvious, but it's kind of a boring song without the rapping, I think. And without like the big, blasting bombastic nature of it all it seems weird like it would be that that it would be that different to me yeah but now they have bad blood, blood peter well, well presumably there was bad blood before there used to be mad love now there's just bad blood which was your favorite uh celebrity cameo and or celebrity character did you like the person who had a compact that turned into razors and shot out or the person who threw a knife through a teddy bear or the rocket launcher or jessica alba on a tron motorcycle did i see cindy crawford yes she's the headmistress of the uh, okay. academy where she all was the assassins favorite. are trained there's also um what's her name uh from girls lena dunham a guy with a cigar that was strong too the power <laughs> move <laughs> power move yeah the cigar is a power move <laughs> power move Clearly. It's a trick cigar. I had to go with uh, Mariska Hargitay, personally. Alright, so I think that covers our thoughts on uh, Taylor Swift's it's all the bad time. blood. It's all the time we have for today, guys. It's all the time Tune we have. in next time as we discuss uh, Ancillary Justice by Ann Leckie. Ann Leckie. Ancillary Justice. I did. Well, we actually could talk about uh, a book we read previously, which is The Martian, since the trailer with uh, the stunning Matt Damon just dropped. And Speaking Danny Glover, which surprised me. You mean Donald Glover? Donald Glover. Danny Glover is too old for the <laughs> Nathan. If you Danny Glover cuss, was in there, you can't that cuss on this great. podcast, George. Matt can bleep it. Sound engineer Matt will bleep it for me. Please, please, and, and, Matt. And Danny Glover is too old for this. And Donald Glover is just the right age to I, be in a sci-fi castaway film. It's intensely about... embarrassing when anyone confuses Danny Glover and Donald Glover, but it's really embarrassing when it's me. Oh, dude, I do it all the time because I have a real problem with people who have similar sounding names. Also, Donald names are as similar as it gets. Donald is an old person sounding name, and Danny is a young person sounding name. So, there you have it. Oh, I totally get it. I will criticize you for many things, Nathan. And you I do. I will not actually criticize you. I, and I, I, I totally do. <laughs> Lovingly. It's one of my favorite things. And it truly is. I've been bad, there bad and I've, I've done it. You've, you've criticized me for many years through thick and thin. And I've become a better person for it. Or at least a I'm different keeping person. keeping you honest. Keeping you honest. On your toes. Truth I am honest Anyways, what do you guys toes. think? Um, I like the trailer. Uh... I, I look forward to seeing the movie because um, most of my problems with The Martian, as discussed by us in August and posted on us on our podcast like last week, um, 
or yeah, one week ago ish. Most of my problems with it were actually with the, the, the writing itself. So the story I quite liked and the, um, I think with a big budget and a big star, it could be great. I do think it's funny that all these comedic actors are playing this serious roles and the, uh, yeah. main character who is arguably the most comedic one in the entire, um, book is being played by matt damon not he's not not funny he's a funny guy but he's mostly not a comedic actor he's not one of those guys you think to to go you think to go to for really good sarcasm yeah he can do it i i'm not saying he can't goodwill hunting you know yeah i'm just saying he hunted he hunted the goodwill he killed it all i'm saying is he's not the guy that comes to mind it's an interesting choice i want to see how he does yeah. Who's your dream cast for The Martian? John Jones. The MMA fighter? No, The Martian Manhunter. One of those is real and one of them isn't. So one of them could play someone else in a movie and one of them couldn't. That Can it. you guess which one? The Martian Manhunter is the real one. Oh, okay, thanks. Because that was a true story and it happened in real times. It was a documentary shot in real time. Um... Yeah, but like, what kind of type would you think would be would play a good NASA engineer? Well, because let's face it, no, no NASA engineer is as handsome as Matt Damon because no one is as handsome as Matt Damon, aside from Matt uh, Damon. Aside from Matt, well, even Matt Damon, I bet in person is not as handsome. So, anyways, anyways who Tom Hardy is pretty handsome, but Tom, Tom Hardy's the man. He wouldn't. He wouldn't be a good um, whatever the guy's name is from The Martian. No, Tom Hardy sometimes seems too meat-headed. It's all an act. He's a he's he's a thoughtful, no, know, sensitive man. But know. yeah, he wouldn't he he wouldn't be the right person for this role. Remind mm-hmm. me, you know? was Watney an engineer or a botanist? Oh, I don't recall. He was he was one of those things, but also the other one conveniently. Oh right. Yeah, it's not convenient. It's cross training, and uh, never mind. I got you going with this. We've gone over that before. Um, <laughs> this seems like a dead area. Thought I thought the trailer looked cool. I, I it think it looked look cool. cool. It had spaceships. I'm all about space stuff and space movies that do it well. So I um, and many that don't was surprised by how loaded the cast was because you know there's Kristen Wiig and Chotel Ejiofor, I think Donald Glover. I'm missing a bunch of people. Oh, uh, Jessica Chastain, I think, is the mission commander. Yeah. Michael Pena, who I love, who starred with Peter, uh, alongside Peter and Fury. Um, Accurate. No, there was a... Uh, was Jeff Daniels the uh, yeah, yeah guy or whatever? Yeah, like president of NASA or whatever. The president um, of NASA. He's the supreme ruler of NASA. They, I think yeah. it's a democratically elected position. but Actually, I think it's an emperor. Yeah, like I was such a loaded cast, which I didn't realize. And then I had also forgotten that Ridley Scott is directing it, which means... What? His last couple movies, you know, Prometheus was straight garbage, but he is one of the best directors ever. So um, he can probably bring a real visual flair to it. And also means the movie's going to have a ton of money. I don't know. I've had had trouble taking his more recent stuff seriously. You made Blade Runner, man. I made the mistake of watching Robin Hood. I love Blade Runner. I love Alien. Those are two of my favoriteest movies of Did all time. Did he do the Russell Crowe uh, Robin Hood? Yes. Yeah. I've seen 
like a third of that in a hotel room. It didn't strike me as um, Robin Hood. I don't know. It's no. not great. It's, but I wonder, like Kingdom of Heaven was okay, but wasn't great. But supposedly, I haven't seen it myself, but the word on the street is, if you see the director's cut, which is much longer, it's a much, much better film and is incredibly good. I was and okay Robin with Hood, Kingdom of Heaven. I just didn't like the, 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 some of the message stuff in Robin Hood felt tacked on. That's not some of what I didn't like. Yeah, I'd have to rewatch it, but like the whole it seemed really episodic. Like seems... it would just kind of jump from scene to scene without any kind of like connective tissue. And I wonder if it got hacked to bits in the edit room or, or what happened, or maybe it's just badly made. Hmm. Um, but yeah, this from the director who couldn't figure out what to add to the director's cut for Alien. Yeah, but I like Gladiator. Um, Gladiator's great. You like Blade movies about gladiators? I do. I, I do. I've been in a Turkish prison, and. <laughs> Prometheus was was hot garbage, so hopefully this will be a return to form to one of uh, the world's great filmmakers. Speaking of uh, both NASA and hot garbage, do you guys see Tomorrowland? No, um, I did not. That's okay. Don't waste your money. Is that a um, thing that you can go see? Because that's... I'm not going to lie, it doesn't seem like a great idea. I will be seeing it. Um, I, I just know I will. Brad Bird directed it, and you'd think it exactly. would be good. Is it um, is it better or worse than Westworld? Uh, Westworld is great. With Yul Brynner. I have not seen Westworld, but I hear that it's a cult classic. Tomorrowland is not going to be a cult classic, because nobody's going to remember it fondly. Except for baby boomers who like jerking it. To nost- yeah, I heard it was a lot nostalgia. of nonsense. <laughs> it's basically the plot of the message is that... You don't have to, like, do anything. You just have to have hope that somebody else will do something and destroy a literal personification of evil, and then all the problems in the world will solve themselves. It's basically somebody ought to do something, and that something better be the better be the next generation. It's, it's boomer-like guilt assuaged by somebody else will take care of it. Um, it's like a weird guilty nostalgia, hope for the future, but we, that nobody has to do anything type thing. It's bad. Is it visually cool looking? It's visually extremely cool looking. And there is the, um, there's the germ of a really interesting movie in there. Um, and I kind of wonder what happened. That's my Tomorrowland review. Um, I've, I've hated movies more and I've liked movies more as well. How would you rate it next to, uh, although this actually might be really low on your scale, <laughs> Star Trek Into Darkness? It's better than Star Trek Into Darkness because I didn't care as much. The ratio you- of expectations to reality for um, for Tomorrowland was much uh, tighter. Like, I really disliked Into Darkness for the same reason that I disliked Man of Steel, which is that I dislike it when people make movies based on treasured um pop culture icons and then just ignore everything that's good about them in favor of explosions and stupidity and plot holes let me take you back a couple years and tell you a story about me and peter (laughs) i want there's something that peter loves is it star trek into darkness (laughs) no it's it's not a it's not a pop culture thing it's a uh, astronomical body and that is the planet mars so this will go back to the martian Peter, I believe it was for his birthday, had a oh bunch God. of us 
Oh god. Get together. Oh god. <laughs> How many years ago was this? This was uh, I don't remember that. It was in high school, I believe. Maybe late middle school. So like 15 15 16, I think it was like freshman year. I think we had it was spring break or we had a day off for a holiday or something, but it was like around Peter's yeah. birthday. We're talking the late spring. 90s then. We're, we're, yeah. we're, and we went well we can figure it out we, we went, went to, to see mission to mars is what it is what we did because yes peter took us all to it see it was a mission movie about mars. mars that came out on my birthday and i was yeah. super excited and we all went and we all left the theater being vaguely well that's the thing we just saw <laughs> yeah that went over like a wet sock thrown against a brick wall we were mission- all very excited and it was uh very 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 bad film turns out what was the other mars movie that came out was there's it red, the Mel kilmer one red was it planet? red planet that I one actually so. ended up being better i think yeah because at least it with Mel kilmer like, being chased around happening. by a robot well it had a plot yeah it wasn't just hey some uh m&ms are floating into a double helix while van halen plays and now the mouth on mars is spewing crap out at us m&ms in space don't work that way damn it no wow Ennio Morricone wrote the score. Really? For Mission to Mars? Yeah. Whoa. He must have been like 90 at that point. Um, He was, in fact, 72. All All right. I've I've Wikipedia'd (laughs) in the past couple seconds. Uh, Yeah, don't uh, watch it, though. That's not worth your time. If you want to hear a movie that has his music, you should go watch The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. You should not watch Mission to Mars. You should watch his most iconic film. (laughs) You're not wrong. This bodes well. Whatever you do, just don't watch Mission to Mars. Watch something that's got uh, cowboy hats and guns. Was Tim Tim Robbins in Mission to Mars? Yeah. Wow. I hope he wishes that hadn't happened. I'm sure he does. (laughs) I wish it hadn't happened. So, speaking of Mars and disappointments. and <laughs> Oh, Mars. Yeah. Segway this into something, please. <laughs> Makes me kind of want to reread the uh, Kim Stanley Robinson Mars books, though. Oh, man, I wanted you to go to The Witcher with that. I wasn't sure how you are going to do it. And then, clearly, you weren't. You Mars well, is the god is of war. One, there is one thing that both of those things have in common. Which is lots of weirdly placed sex. Yep. The Witcher! Go ahead, Dan. Yes! <laughs> nicely done, Peter. You're welcome. <laughs> I am told that the new Witcher is a little bit better about the sex. Um, I unfortunately have only played 20 hours of it. Um, you thought I was going to say minutes. You've 20 hours into the game and you haven't seduced anybody? I don't know what I'm doing wrong, frankly. Um, <laughs> this is I was led to believe the there was one. a unicorn sex scene in the first, like, not with a unicorn, on top of a stuffed unicorn. I was I was led to believe that was in the first like couple hours of the game, but I'm 20 hours in and there's been zero of that stuff. I hate so, it when you can't find the side quests. I know, um, but it's super good. So I, I know that the way they handle sexuality in these games like actually bothers you, Nathan. It did. What in the is first it that you really games. like about the Witcher games? Is it the world or is it the mechanics or what? Um, it's it's everything. Uh, well. Most Except things. for the trading card sex. The trading card sex was only in the first game. Um, the second game was a little better about it. Um, and unlike many games where you just sort of sleep with whoever. So Geralt is a witcher. He's um, genetically modified. He is both, by in addition to his um, his stuff making him really good at 
killing monsters. He's got, you know, fast reflexes, fast metabolism, super acute senses. He's also very conveniently sterile and STD proof, which makes him uh, a popular source of uh, cheap sex for the local ladies. Um, well, consequence free sex in the time before birth control. So, um, but not before genetic engineering. No, well, it's magic genetic well, engineering. That's the best kind. It is because you don't have to explain it. That's really don't just go. It's magic. Um, where was I going with this? Um, Ru- but the runes may have been involved. There were runes. The world is. Uh, I think I touched on this before, but I can't remember if we were recording. Unlike Bioware games, where it's either hmm or or um, Bethesda games, where your choices are literally destroy a planet or town full of people or give water to a starving puppy. Like in The Witcher, you're frequently um, asked to make moral choices and it's not obvious that there's a good choice or even like it's not obvious that either of these choices is really going to be good. For example, in the starting um, sort of the starting area of The Witcher 3, you're it's sort of works as a bit of a tutorial Um you use your witcher senses to track down uh, a villager who burned down the smithy. And the smith is a dwarf. He's one of the few non-humans in this town. And um, this 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 is a war-ravaged land. It's on the front line between two human emperor, empires fighting for territory. Um, a southern empire is taking over a northern kingdom. So you've got tensions between the invading soldiers and the local populace but also ongoing tensions between humans and the non-humans in the world um and although the witcher has been criticized for having no people of color in it it's true literally every human and non-human is white-skinned in the entire game um but they do deal with like race relations and social stuff like that by the usual fantasy trope of having non-humans stand in for non-white people anyway this guy, um, the smith, is a dwarf, and he was accused by the townspeople of collaborating with the uh, invaders when, in fact, they basically commandeered him and said, you know, repair our stuff or we'll kill you. Anyway, somebody burns down his smithy, and you have to go, you track him down using your super witcher senses, which is basically exactly the same thing as detective mode in the Arkham games. And it's one of his neighbors, somebody he's known for 60 years. You know, he knew it, the guy's mom or whatever. The guy got drunk and burned down the smithy. And you bring him back to the smith. Well, your choices are either he bribes you not to tell the smith that he burned down the smithy. But if you're, you know, you do the lawful good thing and you're like, I don't take bribes. I'm bringing you in. You bring him back to the smith and the smith calls the invading army who hang him like right in front of you. So it's just there's no obvious good answer, no obvious bad answer. There's complexities and shades of gray. And, like, war is terrible and everything's terrible. But it's not humorless and grim, like grim dark. war is hell. Like, the character Geralt is, he's a little gruff, but he's also funny and he makes dad jokes and he, like, is sardonic and kind and good-spirited. And, you know, there's there's political stuff that is amusing or not amusing, but it's like nuanced and complex socio-political stuff, um, and interpersonal stuff. It's a great, it's a great RPG, and it sort of came out of nowhere. Every game that comes out in the series, people are like, "Oh crap, this is way better than we thought it would be." Interesting. <laughs> Sorry for the monologue. No, it's fine. 
Um, that's The Witcher. And I've, and I've, heard, and I've heard that there is a darn good combat system. It's it's unique. Um, I wouldn't call it darn good. It's not as good as, say, Dark Souls. Um, I see. But it's pretty good. It's it's complex. It, you have... Um, it's basically built around light attacks and heavy attacks, or fast attacks and strong attacks with your swords. And mm-hmm. you have two swords, a uh, steel one for humans and mundane creatures and a silver one for monsters. Um, and you also have like a little crossbow and some bombs and some magical signs. There is like powerful magic in the game, but you're not any good at it. You just have these crappy little basically cantrips, um, which are just enough to put people off guard or, you know, cast sparks in somebody's eyes or give yourself a little shield. But it, it's really interesting and dynamic. Um, and I like it. And you, since you're a monster hunter, you, um, it's best if you do your research. Like, you know, you learn that, say, this type of wraith is susceptible to this type of oil. So you go into the the wild and you find these flowers and this, you know, alchemical stuff. And you basically build build yourself this alchemical formula that the thing is weak to. So it's tactical in that if you know what you're going up against, you can be prepared and, you know, apply hmm. the right poultices and use the right bombs and stuff. Do you think it's better than uh, Dragon Age Inquisition? In certain ways, so far I would say yes. In other ways, no. Um, it's very different. Dragon Age is a very much an ensemble cast, and you're, you know, it's like almost like a single person MMO, a very good single person MMO. Um, there's a lot of fetch quests. There's a lot of bring me four yak poultices and twenty seven sheaves of you know yak fur, but um. Obviously, Dragon Age Inquisition is much more self-consciously, socially conscious, I would say. There's a lot of people of color, a lot of LGBT um, characters, a lot more conscious diversity, a lot more like this is, we're, we're in a fantasy world, so there's no way it has to be like crappy medieval earth. Let's let's build the world we want to build and tell the stories we want to tell. Um, whereas Witcher is much more sort of, Eastern European fantasy based and, you know, the world is really crappy to women and minorities and peasants in general. Um, I'd anyone, say Witcher... Anyone who isn't a king. Right. Witcher feels more real, but Dragon Age is more joyous and optimistic. I, I really like both of them. Yeah. Com- combat is better in The Witcher. There you go. Well... That's The Witcher. Because you know, you know what game does not have super detailed uh, technical combat. They're the dynasty, those are the Dynasty Warriors games. And <laughs> AKA I, the greatest games ever made. And I have been playing a game made by uh, Koei, who produces the, uh, the Dynasty Warriors games and Samurai Warriors and what have you. And that game is called Bladestorm Nightmare. Can I take one moment to explain what we mean by Dynasty Warriors games? I was about to get to it, but... Do it. uh, Yeah, okay. So the basic concept in Dynasty Warriors, uh, the majority of these games before they started branching out into weirder eras, was they were all set during the Romance of the Three Kingdoms period in China, when uh, the country was basically split in three. But the premise is that there is this battlefield, very large, with 
say, 500 or so soldiers with reasonably poor, or pretty poor AI wandering around. And you are a super powerful general, and you will swat your way through... Hundreds. Hundreds, if not thousands, of enemy soldiers as you mow your way across the battlefield. Blade... It's awesome. It is great fun, pretty mindless. There is basically a kill button that you mash, and you just keep pressing the kill button. Then you just roll around the screen, just like slaughtering thousands of helpless mooks. It's until good... you encounter Lubu, whom you should not pursue. No, Lubu's a bad time. Uh, also hair tentacles, which you should just be aware of. It's just bad. But it's uh, great because every general has their own like personality and own weapon, and it's just really outsized, ludicrous stuff. Like My entry character into the game was a dude who was, basically had kind of a big halberd staff and a, like, a Mexican wrestling match, which was totally great in ancient China. I was going to say, and... this is, that's the real joy of the game is it's all this stuff viewed through the lens of basically Japanese RPG makers. So yeah. they've got the full on, you know, Final Fantasy style haircuts and giant really giant elaborate swords. ridiculous costumes. That's a good time. It's, it's a good way to turn off your brain for a couple hours and just plow through people and it's I like them a lot. Anyway, so Blade Storm is very much in the similar vein. Except it is set during the Hundred Years' War between France and England. A very grim time. Yes. Uh, so you are a mercenary, and you jump around doing stuff for both sides. Um, there is a little difference between Mid to Dynasty Warriors, which is that instead of being just this one guy, you're actually in, in command of a squad of people. Which uh, gets me to my favorite thing about this game, which is charging around the French countryside as a knight with a bunch of lances just trampling people over. Because it turns out that's the equivalent in this game. You just run over hundreds and hundreds of soldiers with your horse. (laughs) (laughs) So it's great. And, you know, there are lots of really bad accents that are really badly acted. And there are lots of insane uh, types of soldiers that show up. Like um, Mongol crossbowmen and ninjas and... Other things that don't really have any business being in the Hundred Years' War. And uh, so when they re-released this game, they also added another mode, which is the Hundred Years' War, except with dragons and wizards and skeletons. So more Sounds... historically accurate. More Sounds historically good. accurate. They are led by evil Joan of Arc. You mean Joan of Arc? Well, right, sure. Whatever. She was a lady who wore pants, thus she was evil. At the time, that's accurate. That's true. At the time, that's how they perceived things. That's true. Yeah, no. Wearing pants was morally reprehensible. Anyway. So while I was playing this game and enjoying some of my mindless uh, peasant pitchfork guy slaughter, I uh, it got me thinking about another game that was in a very similar vein that I also enjoyed, which is Mount and Blade which is uh, an indie game made by a Turkish Turkish studio produced by Paradox who make all kinds of weird things or produce all kinds of weird things. Lovely people, I'm sure. Uh, but it's also set in a very medieval period and it's an interesting distinction between the two because it's a much more uh, westernized gaming kind of style take on the idea. 
And I thought they made kind of a good comparison. Also, if you guys remember back to um, you, it was more of that kind of it's more of that kind of simulation kind of game as opposed to a uh, kind of like a guided experience, like something it's more like emergent. Age of the Witcher. Yeah, yeah, it's very you know self-directed goals and running around the countryside and taking on jobs and whatnot. Yeah, I'd heard uh, that Mountain Blade is very open-ended. Um, and very, I, I couldn't really get past the graphics of the first one that I played. The graphics of the first one were pretty appalling. They really reworked on the engine for the next one, and they were still kind of appalling. <laughs> I, I heard they have some new engine now for their sequel they're working on, but uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty bad. It's a little okay. bit opaque, too. I know the uh, the first time I tried to play it, I spent two hours fighting an infinite stream of people on top of a castle for some reason. I thought it was going to take over the castle, but guys just kept coming out of it. I think I got stuck in the tutorial and just got my butt handed to me by a bunch of training dummies. Because I couldn't yep. figure out how to shoot an arrow at them. Oh man, <laughs> shooting arrows is really hard in that game. I'm, Especially I'm glad from the horse. That. Especially from the horse. Yeah, it was it was not good for me. Yeah. I think I went and played something easier later, like Dark Souls. Um, <laughs> it didn't It didn't click for me until I tried that same night thing, because it turns out running someone over with a horse is always a good strategy. Turns out. Unless they have a pike set in front of you. Man, Bladestorm did not get a good Metacritic scores, or anybody's scores. Nor should it. It is well, that's the thing, is people... a very specific taste. Critics don't seem to like Dynasty Warriors games because they're the same thing. They're the Hollywood blockbuster of games, except that they're not actually that popular. But it's just mindless repetition. So like it's Entourage, kind of like a, the movie? No, well, it's actually kind of like, if you think of like Madden games. The main, just, the main series is up to Dynasty Warriors 8 or 9, I think, for example. Yeah, it's just, it's usually the same mechanics, not that many changes. Um, but it really is for... Like I said, like you want to turn off your brain, you want to relax and not have to think too much about stuff and just enjoy stupid stuff. It's kind of the game for you. And Mountain Blade is gonna make you work and Mount and Blade is going to make you work for it. So there you go. Yeah. Peter enjoying both ends of the spectrum. That's right. As long as I get to run over people with horses, apparently. Yeah. This is weird. I never really thought I liked knights that much. I haven't even tried that. In in Witcher 3, you have a horse. I assume you can run people over with her, but I haven't tried. Oh, man. Try it and report back. The most inconvenient thing by far about um, being about to have a baby is not enough time to play Witcher 3. <laughs> I can't wait to hear until after you have the baby and you tell us about how little time you have to play video games. <laughs> if At I that can point, even have time to video podcast. games will be a distant memory, and Nathan will only talk about how little he wants to how much he misses sleep. Nathan's so excited about being a dad. He just wants to talk about how excited he is to be a dad. So when he's actually going to be a dad, it's going to be uh, kind of collapse in on itself and create some sort of new conversation that we've never heard before. I don't know how it's going to work. It'll be amazing. Just, excited. Just, yeah. just between expectation and reality. I'm yeah. sure my child will be wonderful and she will be born knowing how to roll her eyes, which is... A good perk Speaking of being my daughter. Of the, you you are so excited to also be a lame dad. Like you've I'm, you've totally <laughs> been wanting to be that for like the past five years. I've been half of a lame up. dad all, for a long time. I'm just haven't been a dad. 
but you, yeah, you really want to be a lame dad. I do. And it's 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 dripping out of every pore of your body so heavy that I can feel it glossing over me from many miles away. It's gonna start your biological over, clock a ticking over the internet. I don't have a biological clock. No. Do you have an atomic no. clock? Yeah. Cool. presented to me by the u.s government for uh heroism during the war and speaking of heroism during the war you guys know who sven hassel was no idea no tell us about that george well it's a more complicated thing than you'd think so was i've been reading not uh, sven well sort of no it's not so i've been reading legion of the damned by sven hassel who which was a very popular book sold millions of copies all over the world i think in the 60s um Sven Hassel was a Dane who fell on hard times during the Depression, as so many did. So he went to Germany to join the Wehrmacht because it was closer than Britain. And then war broke out. He tried to desert, was put into a penal battalion, and was forced to fight on the uh, Eastern Front. The war ended. He spent some time in some prison camps, as you do, and then wrote some loosely veiled stories about his experiences, which became Legion of the Damned, which sold very well. And then he wrote many sequels to it. Both these characters based on people he'd met during his time. So I've been reading that book. What's fun is there's a big question of who Sven Hassel actually is, because a Danish author has essentially determined that Sven Hassel, which was a pseudonym and a pen name, was actually a pseudonym and a pen name, not for a uh, Danish deserter, but for a Danish collaborator who was involved in some sort of car crash like during the war and it was reported on in newspapers and it was um, some guy driving around some like Nazi party hack and the Danish collaborationist government that there was this guy and that he'd never actually seen any combat, never done any of these things because as you read these books, a lot of these events that these people were supposedly involved with, there's no way for them to have possibly been involved with them. And a lot of the stuff he says doesn't actually make any sense when you like t- when he talks about like being in a concentration camp versus what we know concentration camps actually were like. You know, it's like he probably wasn't there. Anyways, so it turns out he was probably this weird collaborationist. And then there's also a theory going around that the first novel, Legion of the Damned, was actually ghostwritten. And then his wife wrote all the succeeding novels, <laughs> which is a weird mystery surrounding these books, which I find fascinating. Um, so I started, re- I, I'd heard about that first. So I started reading the first one. It's not particularly great. It's very, and, and one of the things that's interesting, it's about these, you know, a German penal battalion. So it's people who are against the Nazi regime or are thieves and things like that being forced to fight for them. And it's supposed to be very much about the horrors of war and how, all war is awful and how the fighting is terrible. So it's not like a pro rah, rah Nazi kind of thing, but which is surprising when you think that, well, maybe this guy was a terrible collaborationist during the war. He's also dead now. So you don't have to feel bad about giving money to him or anything, but it's the books. It's the authorial voice is so weird. Like, cause he'll be like, so at the beginning, the guy is caught for desertion, sentenced to a concentration camp. Eventually he gets out of that to be put into the penal battalion. But the concentration camp, he's like, it was barbarous and terrible. And I know we're not supposed to use the same words to describe things like barbarous and terrible, but you can't really describe it as anything else. So, you know, feel free, you who haven't experienced these things to like, you know, come up with your own words. But all I can tell you is it was barbarous and terrible. And it's like these weird asides, you know, it's very much a book that is aware that it's being written. And I think I'm about like, 
a third to maybe half of the way through and he actually hasn't seen any combat yet like they just started to get on a boat that's been getting bombed to go to like north africa but it's just it's just a weird cultural relic that i find fascinating that so many people would read this and be interested in it and then there's such a weird mystery behind the authorship um i don't know it's just fascinating to me it's really odd weird so yeah. it was Sven Hassel? Yeah, Sven Hassel. It's a pseudonym, obviously. Mm, the Wikipedia right. page gets very into various phones being registered in various Danish names, if you're into that sort of thing. I am almost certainly into that sort of thing. Yes, I thought you would. Yeah. B. B. <laughs> into that sort, sort of thing. Did you that you'd like. get that thing? I sent you. That I sent you. No. I don't use the mail. I only use Danish telephones. Where is your primary Danish telephone registered, George? Daneland. You know where the Danes live? The Danes live in Denmark. Danishville. So, you know how a lot of nations have, like, sleeping giant mythology, like... King Arthur's not a giant, but King Arthur slumbers somewhere in Britain ready to arise when the emperor, Empire needs him, you know. Didn't like, need him in the 40s, apparently. I guess not. Well, they had Spitfires for that. And it Charlemagne a, didn't bother with It could have either. been worse. The, was it, the Danish it? sleeping giant is named Holga Dansk, which was also the name of the uh, uh, resistance organization in Denmark during the... That's a cool name. Thing. If you've yeah, got a sleeping Hol- giant a sleeping myth giant naming your resistance... <laughs> Naming your resistance movement about your mythological sleeping giant is a good move. Yeah. And it's just a cool... It just rolls off the tongue really well. I like it. Is that kind of myth really common? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Wasn't it Um, Barbarossa? No. Uh, Charlemagne, for sure, right? Yeah. They're not always giants. Sometimes it's just, like, great kings or mythological figures. A lot of the times it also ties into, like sleeping giants and a lot of times it's like mountains and things that people look at and claim that that's actually what it is some kind of guardian deity yeah it's a nationalistic um guardian mythology that's pretty cross-cultural i didn't realize charlemagne was going to come back from the dead after he's not dead he's sleeping after uh after this podcast is done i'm gonna have to donate to wikipedia because it's been really helpful just in the past like half hour the the Wikipedia list of King in the Mountain um, has a lot of examples, including Constantine eleven, Pelia Logos, Pelia Logos, yeah, Pelia Logos. I could be pronouncing it wrong. I have no idea. Don't, you're you're the Greek guy. Yeah, but I don't know how things are pronounced. That sounds right. Yeah. Sure. Anyways, yeah, he's one. Um, oh yeah. Oh, any dear. other good ones? Uh, King Harold of England. Uh, not slain at Senlac, um, King Rodrigo of Spain, uh, Bran the Blessed, um, Constantine I, Frederick II of the Holy Roman Empire. Wait, Constantine um, one? Yeah. Who, oh, he's said to be, have been turned into a statue, not oh. resting under a mountain. How weird. You mean the actual, like, Constantine statue, which is massive? Could have been. Um, I'm sure there are more than one, but there's one. Yeah, uh, Finn McCool. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, Ogier the Dane. 
Um, the one oh, they have a picture of Holgodansk. I've actually uh, been down there in Kronberg Castle, which is where Hamlet lived also. Um, I've seen that. Uh, have you seen the statue, statue in Kronberg, Kronborg Castle? Is that the one you're talking about? Yep. That's where I learned about Holgodansk. Yeah. He he features, I want to say he features in um, uh, one of those fantasy series things. Um, fantasy. Was he in the one? Um, do you remember the fan? Like the, I think it's young adult fantasy series about the guy who like gets Twilight. No, he gets uh, sent to a dimension where uh, magic is just made by rhyming a lot. Like if if you can if you can basically freestyle, you're a good wizard. <laughs> um, did anyone read those? Uh sure, Nathan. I read Maniac McGee, which is about the guy who runs fast. Yeah, yeah. that guy wrote that. That was set in uh, like Central PA. He was he was a running wizard. His shoes fell off mm. from all the running because he was sad. You're not thinking of um, Phantom Tollbooth, are you? No, I'm thinking of Christopher Stashef's uh, Wizard in Rhyme series. There we go. Definitely have not read that. I read a bunch of them. Um, I want to say Ogier the Dane is in it. Um, like, yeah. Oh, there were eight of them. Wow. Um, yeah. It's it might be a little bit Gary Stew in the sense that the main character is a PhD student whose knowledge of poetry enables him to become a powerful wizard. Um, and also the the alternate history universe he's teleported to is like super Catholic. So. Cool. That works for him really well. Catholic verse, huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Um, anyway, I'm all out of things to talk about. Um, the Golem of Prague <laughs> technically counts. Oh, right? no, that's a good one. Did you guys read Cavalier and Clay? That was super good. Nope. Oh, you should. I tried reading it a couple of times because I never got into it. Yeah, well, try again. So That's people good. keep telling me. You could always suggest it on the podcast. Then we'd have to read it. True. Nah. It's not my turn for a while yet. No, I'm just saying in the I future. C- I can always take revenge. Yeah. True. Oh, right. Like Merlin. Can... <laughs> that counts. Merlin. Oh, yeah. The... That guy. Godzilla? That's not the legend. No. He does defend Japan from aliens occasionally sometimes he's a pawn of the aliens until he wakes up and then is pissed at the aliens this is all true yes i'm gonna call it at that i think that that was a good discussion we had we will be doing uh and lecky's is that the author's name yeah ancillary justice is our next book um ancillary justice which we'll be reading so you guys should check it out it's about a spaceship that uh has a secret that may surprise you i think the fact that she's a spaceship is the surprise exactly that's what i said it's pretty surprising it is surprising super good uh i finished the book already actually and i'm about to start the second book I'll brag about it. Yeah, um, I will. Spaceship. Yeah, so read the <laughs> book. Uh, get back to us about your thoughts on spaceships and spaceship-related peoples. 
Um, tweet us your thoughts about Taylor Swift's blood, bad blood video and uh, who you'd side with. Use the hashtag, hashtag Katy Perry Army, hashtag Taylor Swift's life force innervation, hashtag <laughs> lizardpeopledearreaders.org.net. Edu. Did you say um, did you say life force innervation? Don't worry about it. Just just tweet it. Okay, man. Okay. No tweeting get that, it. Get those tweets out. I'm imploring all of you people. Rate us on iTunes. Um, send us all of your chicken fingers. I am kind of hungry. <laughs> I was going to ask if you ever start a sentence and don't know how to finish it, but I think we all know the answer to that. I always know how to finish my sentences. Don't be stupid. And on that bombshell. I hate we that are... you closed the show. <laughs> Why do you hate that? I don't know. And not well, that bombshell. Bomb <laughs> that bombshell. <laughs> we are, as always, your lizard people. Dear readers. Dear readers. Are we doing it all at the same time now? No, no I don't know. <laughs> I all just right. do that often enough to confuse George. Good night. And you. Good night and good luck. This has been Lizard People, Dear Readers, a production of Yellow Sonar Industries. Sound engineering is performed by Matthew Quiet of Podcom Services. All music written and performed by Stephen Edwards. Updates and information can be found at lizardpeopledearreaders.com. Contact us on Twitter at drlizardpeople or by email at lizardpeopledearreaders at gmail.com. Very few humans were harmed during the making of this production.